Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to be here. If you would, you can go ahead and turn with me to John 6. John 6. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to read a passage uh, from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. This says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, so I read that passage because uh, me, like everyone in this room, uh, we need each other, right? I can't stand up here and act like it's been like the most fruitful season for me over the past few months. Uh, it's been quite dry, honestly, um, through difficulties uh, within the church itself and um, just difficulties interpersonally with one another. It's been a fairly dry season for me, so I'm glad to see you this morning. I'm glad to be here with you because I know that I need you. Uh, just as much as you need each other. So it it really is good to be here. Uh, The passage that I want to cover for us this morning is in John chapter 6. It's a very familiar passage, at least the first half of it. Um, But it covers some very foundational truths for us as believers. Um, When I think about why I'm here, why I'm talking to you in the first place, um, why I pray when I'm alone, why I speak to others about Christ, whatever it may be that involves this Christian walk, it pretty much starts with this passage here. So that's what I'm going to read for you. That's what we're going to go through together today. Uh, and before we begin, I'd ask if you pray with me. <clears throat> uh, Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Uh, thank you for everyone in this room. Uh, I'd ask that you calm our hearts, calm our minds. Um, to just rest in you, to read your word, to study on you, to grow closer to you and each other in this moment, uh, that we might bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 6, again, it starts off with a very familiar passage, one that uh, many, if not all of us know and have read probably countless times, and it's the uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So uh, Verse 1 starts off with says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Uh, Mind you, Jesus had already kind of started his ministry a little bit here. And one thing I find a little bit funny, being that I've read the rest of this chapter, is when I see all these crowds following Jesus, and then I read and hear about all the uh, grief that they give him once they get there, I just think to myself, like, he he didn't ask you to come. He, He didn't ask you to come follow to come listen. You heard, you saw what he was doing, you came and you chose to to give him grief. So it's really a reminder um, for me that oftentimes a lot of the things that we bring on, we kind of bring on ourselves. Um, All of these people could have avoided their anger, their frustration if they had simply just minded their own, but they didn't. They they came, they saw it, they followed, they didn't like what they um, had to hear. Many of them didn't at least, Um, but they came anyway. Uh, Verse three, Jesus went up on the mountain And there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, he said, said, toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
And he said to, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? It's interesting to see Jesus' disciples walk with him in his ministry and the fact that they really didn't understand who he was until after the resurrection had taken place um, consistently throughout Jesus' walk. His disciples uh, misunderstand him. Much like the people of God in the Old Testament, how they follow and then they walk away. And then they follow and they walk away. And they truly don't understand him or what he's doing, it seems, at points. Much like his disciples here. Uh, Jesus had already started his ministry in part and all these people are coming to him. And he's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? And the disciples have no clue. Because they don't understand who they're walking with. They don't understand who they're talking to, at least not fully. If they did, they would have said, Jesus, you can easily perform a miracle and feed all of these people. You're God. Uh, but they didn't. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up them and filled them between the uh, twelve baskets and fragments from the five barley loaves of those who had eaten. And when the people had saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So two points. Uh, the first one that I find really cool and interesting to me, not that, I, not that he did this for this purpose, um, but it makes me think, uh, that Jesus always delivers over in abundance, it seems, of what we need. Uh, he not only satisfies needs that we have, but it seems like he does give us more than that. Uh, for starters, he has given us himself, so everything he gives in addition to seems to be uh, more than what is satisfactory. Secondly, the people who are present here, they understood their Old Testament. All right, They understood their Old Testament better than I probably understand my Old Testament and possibly more than some of you in the room. So when they see this Jesus, he's come, he's performing these miracles. They said, this is indeed this prophet who has come into the world, only they were wrong about who this prophet was, right? Uh, they knew that someone was coming. They knew that some king, some savior, some prophet, some person in some way was coming to save them, only not in the way that they thought. Now we can see throughout uh, the New Testament, that people thought that Jesus was going to be some sort of earthly king, but not this king that would reign eternally forever, uh, someone that would save them now, but not save them from their sin. Uh, and we can see people turn in, in this book, if we go a little bit further, from being excited about Jesus coming um, to not. All right, this is indeed this prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples were, went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Understandably so. If we were right, um, rowing on a boat in the middle of a sea, and was this huge storm coming, and we see as this person walking on water, we and two uh, would be frightened, I would assume. right? They didn't know it was Jesus yet, but he said to them in verse 20, It is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. 
verse 22 through 44 is the main section of where we're going to be today. Um, as I mentioned, uh, 1 through 21 is in large part a story that we all know, we've all covered, we all have all heard, and probably many of us have taught. Uh, but 22 through 44 is foundational truths for the Christian walk, the Christian life, and, and depending on how I speak and how you receive it will determine if you will ever want me back here. Because if we disagree on this point, then we're going to disagree on, on pretty much everything else. Um, because everything kind of stems from this truth here. All right, uh, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not yet entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus, which is understandable. Though they did not know who Jesus really was, they thought that he was going to be king. In their minds and whatever thought process they had, he was going to be some sort of king, some sort of savior for them. So simply because he went away for a minute doesn't mean they're just going to be like, okay, well, we're just going to let the king go. And they're like, we're going to go get our king. We tried to take him by force once. We're going to go get him again. So they get in boats. They go to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, much like he does often, he answers people in ways they don't expect. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So it seems a little bit lesser than we may have even thought, right? So not that you saw me performing these miracles and you recognized me for who I was, at least in part. No, you're seeking me simply because you had your fill. That, that's why you're here. That's why you've come. And that this isn't a good thing. He says, don't labor for food that perishes. So this food that's going to go away, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Don't labor for this. And it's, it's kind of worthless in the grand scheme of things. But for food that, that but endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God. So it's going to sound like at first that Jesus is going to be preaching some sort of works-based righteousness, uh, which we don't believe, which I don't believe anyway. Uh, he says, don't labor for food that perishes, but labor for food that endures to eternal life. Some sort of seeking, some sort of uh, fighting after. And they said, Lord, what, are, what must we do? What work are we going to perform that we're going to receive this that you offer? And he quickly sets it straight. If there were any doubts, and Jesus answered them in verse 29, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Foundational truth, number one at least, to this gospel uh, that we believe and proclaim, that it's faith in Jesus for salvation and not anything that we can do. Right? Uh, by grace through faith you've been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And, and a lot of the times, I think it's easy for me and others to understand that grace is a gift. You read Ephesians chapter 2, it says that grace is a gift of God given to us. And we understand His grace, we understand blessing, at least in part, but it says that faith is this gift as well. Grace and faith both working together to save this soul. And he says, this belief that I offer is what's going to save you. In verse 30, And they said to him, 
And what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat. So, so Jesus, it doesn't really matter that, that we come to you and you saw these large crowds and you take this little bit of food that you, that you had in your hands and you feed thousands of people. Uh, but our fathers, the, this nation of Israel in the Old Testament, were fed by God for 40 years. Uh, so what work are you going to perform that's going to be to that magnitude that we're going to believe that we need to seek after what you offer? All right. And Jesus kind of corrects their thinking a little bit. He answers again in a way they didn't expect. Uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So he said, not only wasn't, was it not man that fed you, your fathers when they were in the wilderness, but it was God himself and not only does he give bread that perishes, uh, but he gives bread that endures for eternity. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So not only is he saying it's not Moses that fed your fathers, but it was God who fed your fathers. And not only does God do this, but he also gives bread that endures for eternal life. And that bread that endures for eternal life is me, Jesus. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And then verse 37 through 39 is the second, at least, foundational truth for what we believe, at least for what I believe, and will determine if you have me back, is that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Right. Um, Jesus, throughout his ministry, preaches this, these words of, of come and seek after. And when many go away, he looks and says, are you going to be like those that go away and follow them too instead of me? And he preaches things like believe and seek me and seek after. Um, but it kind of hits home in this passage to the why we would in the first place. And that would be the drawing of the Lord on our hearts. So verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So salvation um, from the start to the finish is an act of God on the believer. Right, uh, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Uh, for the evangelist, for the disciple, for every for, you know, person in this room that's going out and preaching Jesus, it takes a little bit of the weight off of you and me, I believe. Um, to, stripping away the fact that we can save others, uh, that we can change hearts, that, that we can truly change minds, because we can't. Um, I can't convince my students that paying attention in class for five minutes is good for them. I know that I can't convince them uh, to turn from every fiber that's in their nature and go the other way. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 2, that same chapter, that by nature we, like all of mankind, were children of wrath. All right? We followed ourselves, we followed our own devices, 
Uh, whether we knew it or not, we followed Satan and his plans himself and had no clue. Uh, blind beyond all comparison. And I, and I know that I can't save people. And hopefully everybody in this room knows that we can't save people. It really does take the pressure off of us. We're called to be the hands and feet, but we're never called to change hearts because we can't. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Third main point, uh, the once saved, always saved point. The true believers in Christ Uh, will always be those true believers in Christ and will see him in eternity. Uh, A works-based righteousness is preached one way, um, but it it, kind of works two ways. Usually you'll hear works-based righteousness of you have to check off this list to get to God in the first place. Um, But but when it comes to um, uh, going the other way or, or... or uh, seeking something other than God, or or losing faith, if you will, they never really categorize it as works-based righteousness over here. They're like, oh, they just fell away from the faith, or this happened, or this happened. Um, Not that. What it really is, they're really preaching that they didn't attain this thing anymore, right? They they didn't continue to seek after. They didn't continue to work some sort of works-based righteousness that we don't believe. We believe, hopefully, all that God saves and God keeps, and God raises up. Um, We're going to get in a little bit into how that's possible. Verse 38, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Again, reiterating the fact that God saves, and God keeps, and God raises up, and there's not one thing that we can do to erase that. Right? Uh, mind you, God's standard for salvation is perfection. As kind of wild as that may seem, but it it's hopefully sits well with us. God's standard for salvation is perfection. And, and we see in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10 that God, by His grace, and working through us, through this faith and, faith and believing in Him, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when we come to Him in faith, when we see Him, when we believe in this gospel, we're made clean, we're redeemed, we're considered uh, perfect in that right, saved, washed thoroughly, past, present, future, sin, all gone. When He sees us, He sees this act of Jesus, and He will raise us up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So a bit of summary before we move, because I'm going to get you to move with me a little bit um, in this message. Uh, Jesus had already started performing these works in his ministry, and these crowds come seeking after Jesus because they knew this prophet was to come, and they wanted to make him king. Mind you, they wanted to make him some sort of earthly king that would save him today and not save them for 
eternity from their sins. So when they come to Jesus, they finally get to Him. And He says, you labor after Me simply because you ate this bread. Don't labor for this because it's gone tomorrow. It's kind of worthless in that regard. But labor after food that endures to eternal life. And they said, how do we do this? He says, this food that endures to eternal life is Me. I am this bread that the Father has given you. If you eat upon Me, you will never be hungry. If you take of Me, you will never thirst. Not only that, it is my job by the Father's will to keep you. Not only to keep you, but to raise you up. And the reason that you came in the first place was because of act of God on your heart to draw you to myself. All right, so John 6, 1 through 44 is that in summary. Ephesians 1, uh, 13 through 14. In him, when you believed in him, the word of, tr- the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, We're sealed with this promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So not only do we have this uh, promise in John from Jesus that He will keep us for eternity, we literally have His Holy Spirit who seals us for this day of glory. At the moment of belief, this moment of salvation, His Holy Spirit comes and He seals the believer and He Himself is that guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Mind you, human responsibility is not out of the question. We think of human responsibility um, much, hopefully, in in the Baptist world uh, because when you talk about um, once saved, always saved, it does beg the question, you know, what about the person who looks like they don't love Jesus uh, but claims to love Jesus, right? First uh, John chapter three, if you would turn with me. First John chapter three. First John chapter three. I'm going to read four through ten, but the main portion that I want to get at is 8 through 10. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Speaking of this Jesus, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So it kind of wipes away the question, at least at first, of, okay, what about the people who claim to know, claim to love Jesus, claim to love the Lord? Do they have some sort of assurance, even though their lives don't look like they love Jesus? And that is no, right? Uh, The person who claims to love Jesus, but has no works of actually loving Jesus, does not love Jesus. Uh, A simple but loose analogy, as all analogies are, is I can stand up here all day long until I'm blue in the face and claim to you that I am a plumber. And I am not. There is absolutely nothing about my life that would attribute to the fact that I am a plumber or know anything of what I am doing. Right? And the same applies to this Christianity. True faith, genuine faith in Jesus uh, produces action, produces repentance, produces uh, this walk with God that go behind our words. Verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Not that our righteous acts make us righteous before God, 
but the fact that we have been made righteous by God produces righteous actions in us. Are we, are, are we with me? Right? The, the fact that we've been saved, cleaned, redeemed, been given uh, this new heart propels us to action. Those who have been made righteous through faith in Jesus produce righteous actions. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And here's the how. The verse 9 is one of, the, uh, one of my favorite passages, I think, in the Word so far, is that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. All right, so it's like, you know, what about the person who, who just, you know, they truly, truly have faith in Jesus. And man, they just get to the point where they just really do just walk away. They drop the faith and they keep on going. It's not possible. Uh, God keeps us. Now, whether his seed is, is his spirit or his implanted word or the fact that he's changed our hearts, I'm not really certain. But the fact that he has given us some seed is what propels us to repentance. I, I don't know about any of you in the room, um, but I know that I've had seasons of close to absolute doubt. Uh, dry seasons produce worse things than we would care to recognize. Uh, you, you come to Christ um, and you see Him for who He is, at least in part, and, and you're like, man, I, I can never go back to that old way. And it's like I see the joy, I see the peace, I see the fruit, I see everything that He's working in my life, and, and if you keep on long enough, you will see that season that you never wanted to see. Uh, the season that almost doesn't look like you know you love the Lord, if we're honest. I don't think I'm the only one in the room. Um, but by some miracle, by some way, through God's working somehow, not anything that I did or you did or anyone did, we're back here. Uh, and you have that joy again and you have that fire again and you have that repentance. Uh, some act of God on the soul produces a righteousness that seeks Him once more, regardless of how far we've gone. And that's the promise that we have. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, is it, it, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor of the one who does not love his brother. Right, so John 6, in large part, tells us to come. And when we do finally come, we should recognize that it is God who has worked on our lives to bring us there in the first place. And once we've gotten there, we can know that He will raise us up and we will see Him in glory. And then 1 John 3 shows us that when we're on this Christian walk, that no matter how dark or bleak it may seem, no matter how far you can possibly go as a believer, that God will always be there and be with you and always bring you back to Himself. And, and, and I would remind all of you that when we're in this Christian walk, when we're in this uh, thing together, to always constantly uh, be reminded of the fact and reiterate the one from John 6 that's also in Matthew 7. So if you turn with me, you know this passage too, I'm sure. Uh, but I just want to read it with you this morning. Matthew chapter 7. 
I turned to Mark chapter 7 and wondered why I couldn't find it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And it kind of sounds like the same language that Jesus is using in John chapter 6. Right? Don't labor for food that perishes, but labor for food that endures to eternal life. And then not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It seems very works-based righteousness in the beginning. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? So they respond to Jesus with, Lord, we did all of these things. Right, as far as laboring for eternal life goes, as far as doing some act of God to get close to you, we've done it. We've done everything possible. We've we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We've done mighty works in your name. As, as far as this goes, I know myself have never cast out a demon. Um, and Jesus responds to them. And, and then I will declare to them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, showing that, again, it's nothing that we can do. Uh, you can do amazing things in the name of the Lord. Uh, you can claim Him. You can claim to know Him. You can claim to have seen Him. You can claim to have done everything you've done in His name. But if you don't know Him, it's nothing. Right? If He hasn't worked on your heart, if He hasn't drawn you in, is he, if He hasn't given you this seed that produces righteousness, if He hasn't given you the Spirit that's your seal for your inheritance, everything that you've done is useless. And He would declare to them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, so for me and for you and for everyone that we speak to, um, it comes down to the foundational truth of our hope is in Jesus and not ourselves. Right, it's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, it's easy for me to lose sight of that, especially when I'm in like the muck of things and dry seasons, as I've mentioned. And you just try to climb your way out, and you really have to get to the point of, Lord, I can't climb my way out. I couldn't climb myself to you in the first place. What makes me think that I can climb myself to you now? And just as on the day where I had no clue about who you are, as the day where I know a little bit more about you now, I need you just as much now as I did then. Uh, and nothing will ever change that from the person who got saved when they were seven to the person who's known about Jesus for 70 years. Each day, every hour, every second, every act that would lead us to Jesus has to start with Jesus. He propels us. He guides us. He gives us this, this urging, this inkling, this calling, uh, this righteousness that produces righteous works in us. Uh, pray with me. Father, thank you for you again. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. As we close in song, I pray that we uh, would truly worship you for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you. We love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.